0: Amen, good morning everybody. Hey, it's a real treat for me to introduce to you Jeremy Kemp. Uh, As you might know, Midtown is a multi-campus movement and uh, Jeremy and his family moved here a month ago to join the staff over at Creve Hall and one of the advantages of our movement is that we share one another's pulpit and so this is Jeremy's first time to come
1: and preach to you guys and uh, yeah, let's hear it. You got friends here? I got a couple. Okay. I thought they were just excited that I wasn't one preaching this morning. I'm like, okay. So, uh, (laughs) thank you. I love you guys. I'm going home. Uh, But pray for him as he preaches.
0: And remember, you know, uh, this is not a show and this isn't the Jeremy show. Actually, what we believe is that the Lord and the craziness of what he's about to do, the Holy Spirit speaks.
1: So just encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit and what he has for you this morning. So, Jeremy. Jeremy. I think Gail's going to kick us off by reading. Thank
0: you. Okay, I'm reading from Matthew uh, chapter 19, verses 16 through 22. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones and Jesus said you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you should not steal you shall not bear false witness honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself the young man said to him all these I have kept what do I still lack Jesus said to him if you would be perfect go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The word of the Lord.
1: Mm. Thanks be to God, and thank you, uh, Midtown Granny White. What a blessing uh, it is to be here. And a special, so Randy asked, do, do you have any friends here? I've made a couple along the way since we've been here, mostly, at least in this congregation, by way of trying to find a house, which as you might be aware is a huge challenge, but also I'd love to tell you the story or there's a couple of people in this room. Uh, So just a quick shout out to both Steven, Elisa, Caleb, Uh, you guys have helped immensely in finding us a place to live in one of the hardest markets in the nation to break into. So thank you very much for what you do. And uh, thanks for helping us not live in a van down by the river. So we've been here, yeah, we've been here for a month. We are, uh, we are fresh off the boat uh, in many ways. And so, again, I, I just feel so grateful uh, to be here with you, to be here uh, in front of you. This is, uh, this is gift. Uh, and I hope that whatever God is doing in your life uh, and however you're experiencing him right now, uh, you are also experiencing that as gift because it is. And that's kind of where we're going uh, this morning. But to start off, I wanna ask you a question to ponder. Who is someone in your life that you have always wanted to please? Who is somebody that you have always hoped, wished, wanted, worked towards pleasing? And I could name a whole host of people over the course of my life, from parents, to bosses, to friends, to my spouse, to my kids. Uh, I'm brand new here, I wanna please you by preaching a funny sermon that you will like me when I get off the stage, hopefully. Right, it is a very natural thing for us to want to have others that are pleased with us. It's very a natural thing for us to desire the applause of another. Right, I think that's a, a universal experience across the board. There, there's one particular person, though, in my life or a, a set of people in my life that has displayed more of the supernatural kind of affirmation because it's very natural for you to sit there and then if I do a good job to applaud and if not, then you know, talk amongst yourselves afterwards about what a goofball they just hired. But it's a whole other thing to walk into a room and automatically set your pleasure on something or someone. It's a whole nother thing to experience that kind of pleasure set on you. My grandparents have always been that for me. Uh, My granddad, a story that uh, I've told over the years is, when I was four or five years old, my granddad was retiring from the uh, Fulton County School Board of Education, and uh, he was there for many, many years, had a lot of people who loved him very dearly. One of the things that he used to do a lot, though, was talk about his grandson. I'm an only child, for better or for worse. And so he loved to talk about all the great things that his grandson, Jeremy, was doing. Now, keep in mind, I'm four or five years old. <laughs> and so I don't know what he was talking about, but I, like he learned to spell the today. Or he, you know, learned to eat Cheerios without dropping them all over his pants. I'm not sure what exactly he was so pleased with me by, but I think it had more to do with just that he was pleased with me because, because I was his. And so at his retirement party, they kind of gave this gag gift around because his staff knew so much about me. They created this thing called Granddad's Brag Sheet. And it was this whole list of things that they had heard my granddad say about me over the course of my four or five years of existence at that point. <laughs> and that story still lives on today in our family, because it, it is natural to want to please and be pleased uh, with others. It is a whole nother thing. It is a supernatural thing to be accepted just because, just because you're accepted, to be loved, just because you're loved. Yet we naturally approach God as one who needs pleasing. We naturally approach, there's something inside of the fabric of every one of us that naturally says, if God is real, then there must be something I must do in order to get to him, in order to please him, in order to have his affirmation, in order to receive his blessings. There's something in each one of us, Christian, non-Christian, anywhere in between, wherever you are this morning, I hope that at least as we start, you can identify some of yourself in the story that we just heard. Because this is not just a story. There's a real dude who really lived, who experienced and encountered Jesus, a God who is unlike any other God and a God who is unlike our imagination. So enter the the rich young ruler this morning. If you back up just a couple of verses, Jesus had just finished talking to a bunch of kids. He had had welcomed all these kids. He had scruffed their hair. He'd high-fived them as they were going back out into whatever they were doing after that. And then he goes and tells his disciples, you know what I love about kids? They're small. They're humble. They can't really do much. They, they got snot coming out of their nose. They got grass stains on their pants that their moms can't get out because OxyClean wasn't invented. <laughs> and then right on the heels of that, in struts the rich young ruler. And he comes in there with his Patagonia down puffer and his Apple watch and his Thursday boots and his backwards trucker hat. I'm just trying to make him a little more relatable. (laughs) Because the truth is, he's a lot more like us than we'd like to admit. If you noticed, I walk in wearing one of those puffers and I'm wearing that very watch. He's a lot more like me than I'd like to admit. What do I have to do to get in, Jesus? What do I have to do to be like Buds with you? What do I have to do to enter into this thing that I've grown up hearing about? This eternal life that my Jewish heritage has shown me this is what the end goal and end game is. But I've spent my whole life both pursuing that and always kind of wondering am I there? Did I make it? Have I done enough? And maybe wherever you are in your spiritual journey this morning, Christian non-Christian, anywhere in between, 30 years or one year or five minutes, wherever you are in your walk with Jesus, you might be asking yourself that question this morning. Maybe not in here, but in here. Have I done enough? Is God pleased with you this morning? That's the question that we're going to, in this encounter with Jesus, that we're going to try to answer and that Jesus answers for this man, the rich young ruler. So we're gonna do this by just looking very quickly at three aspects of this encounter with Jesus as we encounter him today. First, there's a delusion. Second, there's a dilemma. Third, there's a decree. Again, I wanted you to like me, so I came up with alliteration. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, The delusion. Richard Dawkins, in his 2006 book, The God Delusion, makes this statement. He says, do you really mean to tell me? You can almost hear the vitriol. Do you really mean to tell me the only reason you try to be good, Christian, is to gain God's approval and reward or to avoid his disapproval or punishment? That's not morality, that's sucking up, apple polishing, looking over your shoulder at the great surveillance camera in the sky or the still small wiretap inside your head. Monitoring your every move, even your every base thought. And this notion, along with many others of a similar vein, And there are some very valid points that he brings up in his book that it's worth Christians wrangling with some of these. But the ultimate end of that line of questioning was this. There must not be a God. Because if there's a God, and if that's what he's like, I don't want anything to do with him, and I'm pretty sure that he's not actually real. Because who would do that? What kind of God would be like that? Is it possible, though, that he is under the same false notion that every one of us are born into this world with. Every one of us go all the way back to the beginning. The very first pages of the Bible, Adam and Eve, the first two people to walk the earth, step into this amazing gift of a creation. And God gives, and God gives, and God gives, and God gives, and then God says, it's so good, enjoy. And then God creates a limit. He creates a boundary. He creates a don't. And yours and my and our children's and Adam and Eve's response to the don't is, how dare someone tell me don't? I'm a, I'm a do man. Come on, don't tell me don't. I've got, you just gave me this whole world and now you're gonna tell me there's a part of it that I can't touch? How dare you? But even in do you hear even in that assumption that Adam and Eve made, and then therefore we can't help but make following in their line, do you hear there's an automatic assumption about God's character? There's an automatic assumption of that he must be what? Not good. Withholding, mean, angry, Definitely not good. And each one of us have this natural tendency in our hearts to believe that about God. Just by our very nature, that's what comes out. And so Rico Suave enters into the picture, fluffing back his long hair, and he believes the same thing. How many don'ts must I not do? So he takes the high road. There's two ways to go after don'ts. You can say, well, I'm, you told me to not do it. I'm going to go do it. And I'm going to enjoy it just despite you. The other way, which is the way the rich young ruler takes it is, okay, then I'll, I'll not do that. And I'll not do this. And I'll not do that. And you may sway one direction or the other naturally to the don'ts in our life. But if we naturally believe that there is a God like that, then he must be a dictator in the sky. And that's how we begin to relate to him. Just do enough good to make up for the bad and try to balance the scales enough that you're in. I believed this for years and years and years. But what if the God of our imagination is not the God who is? What if the God of our imagination, what if our imagination cannot capture the God who is? That's what begins to be unveiled as we move from this initial (laughs) bump up between the two of them and this delusion that the rich young ruler walks into this encounter with Jesus with to this dilemma. Because what is amazing about Jesus is he is so wise. Just watch in the way he encounters people, in the way he dialogues, in the questions he asks, in the places he goes. He is so wise and so much fun to watch work and I so much want to be more and more uh, wise in my conversations like him. Because he essentially leads with this question. He lets the rich young ruler follow this line of thinking that he's under. And so he goes, okay, we're talking about goodness here. And you're saying, you're, you didn't do that, and you didn't do this, and you didn't do that, and you're thinking that hopefully all of those not doing, those don'ts, will get you in. will make God pleased with you. Okay, well, let's, let's follow that line of questioning. Maybe you do this with those of you that have children. Maybe you do this with your children. Okay, tell me more about that. Tell me, tell me what that line of thinking, where is that ultimately going to get you? And so he follows this, uh, this little track, this path, and Jesus kind of baits him but in the best kind of way. Because he says, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who's good. And the rich ruler might be going, oh, there's only one, huh? Maybe it's me. Maybe I did all the right don'ts. Maybe it is possible to actually make it in. And so Jesus draws him in with this question. You think that you can be good enough to make God love you? Then just keep the commandments. And this is a great place to start asking yourself in your own heart or engaging with someone who's questioning the faith, who's asking questions about, is this thing really true? To raise up your kids and ask these kinds of questions. Okay. Because part of the goal of the commandments is to recognize that you cannot keep them. And so here, he asks him, okay, if you think you're good enough, then do it, keep the commandments. He calls him on this bluff. Uh, And then he, he goes for it. He totally bites. He says, okay, which ones? Totally falling into the very trap that Jesus has set. Because if you were to make a God after your own image, and if he were to be one who is a dictator in the sky, who has all of this list of requirements that then you must live up to in order to be good enough for him to let you in, then what are three things that you might require of a person? What is a definition of success around Nashville? Rich, young, ruler. Wealth, youth, power. That is the American gospel. You are saved if you are wealthy, if you are or at least look young, And if you can control a room, if you can wow a crowd, if you can control a boardroom, if you can heavy-fisted make decisions and make this company go, you're applauded. And he's chased all those things. And maybe many of us in this room have chased many of those things and are continuing to chase many of those things wherever we are. Like DMX and Little Kim said in the the mid-90s, money, power, respect, what's the key to life? Money, power, respect, what you need in life. Money, power, respect, you'll be eating right. Money, power, respect, you can sleep at night. And we believe it. Because there's something about money. There's something about power. There's something about our image that is so easy to be a false savior because it's tangible. It's tangible in those places that God cannot be. And that God is not. And they're places we can tighten our fists instead of opening them. So is it enough? Is it enough for you this morning? You run three times a week. You put 50 hours of solid, dedicated work with integrity into your workplace. You raise your children if you have them. You're a good neighbor if you have them. You buy the $1 paper from the people on the street corners. Is God pleased? Is that enough? Have you done it? I'm at the front of the line, y'all. I'm at the front of the line in believing this. I spend so many of my days believing that that's all there is. But in the way that Jesus initially drew me in, it took me a long time. I was a junior in college before the Lord really used this question, is it enough? to get my attention. Because up until that point, my answer would have been yes. I am good enough. My, my parents are pleased with me. My, my granddad, obviously, he approves. He keeps writing this list about how amazing I am. Uh, you know, I got good grades. I've, you know, I'm, I'm a good neighbor. I help people when they need it. I think I'm a pretty okay guy. And it wasn't until, as college can do, All of the things that I had been hiding finally caught up with me. And then college sort of accrued a whole bunch of other bad things that I also did along the way. And the weight of that guilt and the weight of that shame began to sit on my shoulders. And that question, is it enough, Jeremy? Is it enough, Jeremy? Is it enough, Jeremy? Got louder and louder and louder and louder until I finally heard Jesus say no. And like the rich young ruler, like, like Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler here, he says, no, it's not enough. That's not the point. Because what if God is not an evil dictator in the sky, but a father? And a father who is pursuing you as any good father would pursue his child and is putting all the right blocks in your path and is taking all the right things away, just like he does here. There's nothing necessarily wrong with wealth, but Jesus does say that it is hard to be wealthy and to be faithful to Jesus. Just sit with that question. But here's what he's not saying. There is nothing wrong with that wealth. There's nothing unique to, if you really wanna be a Christian, then go sell everything, and that's what following Jesus really means. What he's doing with that decree Sell everything and follow me. He's getting after the very thing like he does with each of us when he chases us. He's getting after the very thing in your life that you're trusting to save you more than him. And it's the same thing, Christian, non-Christian, anywhere in between, that he continues to pursue in you. Because he's so much more day after day after day after day in the things that he takes away and then things that he may introduce in your life that you don't particularly like those are some of his best ways to get our attention to say is it enough no because go back to what Jesus started this conversation out with he said you really want to be good enough we're talking about goodness here and pleasing God and what that means there's only one There's only one who's real good. There's only one. You're you're attempting to be sort of a faux rich young ruler. There is a greater, richer, younger ruler, more powerful, so powerful in fact that he made the heavens and the earth just with a word. So powerful that even this breath coming out of my mouth right now and your breath that is sustaining you right now is being upheld by our King Jesus. He is the rich, the young, the ruler over all things. And yet, Second Corinthians 8, 9, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might be rich. And he's not talking about money. You can be rich in righteousness. You can be rich in peace. You can be rich in faith. And you can be rich in every good thing that he does give you, and rich in everything that he takes away. So we're going to come to the table. And to make this a a worshipful experience, there's gonna be some space. And I'd like to ask you uh, to ponder these two questions with the space that you've been given. One, how are you trying to earn God's approval today? What are the places, Christian or non, or wherever you are, Where are the places that you are trying to earn God's approval today? Follow-up question, is it working? And then number two, how, if you truly believed that you are approved of in Christ if you truly believe that the rich young ruler came from heaven to earth to exchange your great debt of sin for his great payment of righteousness, lived through this perfect life, perfect death, resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father, if that is your story today, how are you treating your wealth, your youth and your power? Are you treating it as if that's who God is? and what might he be calling you to in service to him, okay? Let's pray. Jesus, you're so good. You're so good, and I'm so blind. And collectively, uh, we confess to you this morning that we try to posture and man up and and pose uh, and try to cover up with as many fig leaves as we can, just so that other people wouldn't see the real us, mm-hmm. and so that you won't see the real us. <laughs> but just like you did with Adam and Eve in the garden, they cover with fig leaves, and you say, "Where are you? I love you. I want to see you. Stop hiding. Stop covering." Come back. And this is how you call us here today to your table. Where are you? Stop hiding. Stop posturing. Come, take, eat. This is righteousness. This is riches. This is life. So would we eat and drink deeply of you today, Jesus, by faith? and by your spirit's power,
0: amen.